Um, happy Fourth of July or Happy Independence Day. If you would, bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we thank you and we bless you and we praise you, O oh God, for this day, this wonderful day that we've never seen before, O oh God. But Father, we're thankful, God, because we know that you are at the forefront of it, God. And Father, we thank you for what you're about to do in this worship experience, O oh God. Make my words clear, God, to the hearers. God, articulate, Lord, yourself. Make yourself known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, what I want to talk about this morning, and I'm not going to be before you long. Preachers always say that. <laughs> do it anyways. Do it anyways. <laughs> I want to talk to you about freedom from fear. Freedom from fear. Uh, Brother Richard said some really, let me, let me, let me get a shout out. Uh, my son Christopher said, I, I asked this morning, he, he said, Daddy, you have a tendency to talk about our family when you get it to preach. And I, he said, Daddy, could you just not do that? I said, okay. I said, you know what, Christopher, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. He, he said, Daddy, it's okay if you do that, okay? So he loaned me a shirt this morning, so I just want to say, Christopher, thank you for trading your shirt with me and loaning me your shirt. Y'all like my shirt? Nice shirt. Shout out to Christopher. Yeah, it's funny. He is, uh, he loves the youth ministry, loves Pastor Cribs, loves Pastor Josh and, and what they're doing so, uh, here. And uh, let me use this one right here. 10-4. Okay. It's working. Testing. Freedom from fear. Um, if you would hit that first slide right quick. FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, he said, the only thing that we have to fear is fear itself. Now, he said this during his first inaugural speech. During that time, uh, during the 1920s, they were just kind of coming out or still into the Great Depression, and folks, things were bad. Uh, so many people were having it bad. The economy was at its worst. And he said that the only thing we have to fear during his inaugural speech is fear itself. It's fear itself. That's the only thing we have to fear. Hit the next slide. What is fear? Fear is a natural response or a natural thing. Um, it's a feeling that arises from the anticipation of danger and it is moving toward avoidance. Um, it's, uh, it, it comes in many manifestations. Some say even our belief for God is, is based out of fear, but if you think about it, for a lot of us and for most of us, it's not really fear. It's love that also motivates us when moving toward God. But that, So that's, that's it doesn't work. So fear is something that is natural. You know, when you are, uh, it, you, it, it's a natural occurrence. It's a natural thing. Um, it's kind of like that fight or flight response. You know, you have to have it. Um, it's been with us. And, and so fear is, it's very, very natural. Go on, next slide. This guy named Albrecht said that there are five types of fear. There are five types of fear that people experience. The first one is extinction or the fear of annihilation. Or that's death, you know, the fear of death. Everybody experiences that. Then he goes on to say that another one is fear of mutilation or body invasion. Anyone ever had those dreams like your, all your teeth falling out? You know what I mean? Your dreams like, anyone ever dreams like that? Or is it just me? Okay, it's just me. And just all your teeth falling out or, you know, your arms falling off or something like that. And so sometimes people have those fears also. And uh, that's of mutilation and body invasion. Sometimes people fear a loss of autonomy or the loss of control, the loss of, 
of, say, you, uh, you're locked up in this place, or anyone ever had a CAT scan before or an MRI, and they put you in that tube, ooh, Jesus, put you in that tube, make you feel like you're in a casket or something like that, you know what I mean? And, you know, that, that, that's also there, too. And then uh, there's also the fear of separation or um, abandonment or rejection. Some people deal with that also. And, and for us, the other type of fear is the fear of humiliation, shame, and worthlessness. He said of these five fears, only one's really real. And only one of those that are, are real is just the fear of death. The other ones are kind of all up there in our heads, all up there in our minds. Flip on to the next slide. Then there's fear that is conditioned, conditioned fear. It's like a fear of spiders or fear of snakes. I'm terrified of snakes. I would go in a pool with an alligator <laughs> before I tangle with a snake. And it only had to be a poisonous snake, any snake. That's just me. And that's a fear that I learned from childhood when Mr. Johnson's son put a little snake in the road and caused me to step on it. And he was playing with me. It was dead, but it scared me to death. And ever since then, I was afraid of snakes. Okay? That's in my head from my childhood. And some fears we, we learn. You know, a baby... I can take a baby, brand new baby, and put him right there, and he'll walk right off. Because he doesn't have a fear of falling. Or, you know when you were growing up, and your mama said, don't touch the fire, but you touch it anyways. And what happened? You got burnt. And from then on, you don't touch fire. Because you learn, you become conditioned that fire is not a good thing. Fire is a bad thing. So we could also, we could also become conditioned to certain fears or uh, conditioned to certain things that make us fearful. Hit the next slide right there. Not all fear is bad, like I said before. Some fear is good. You've all seen those movies where these moms, like a car might have fallen on the baby or something like that, and mom comes up with this superhuman strength and pull the car off the baby. You know, that adrenaline gets to pumping. So not all fear is bad. It can actually, you know, be a good thing. But then there are some fears that are not good because they, they grip and they can control our lives. Hit that next thing. Some fears can be debilitating, like panic disorders. Feel that sense of terror that strikes at random during a panic attack. Panic attack, you sweat, you, uh, you have chest palpitations or you know, you feel like you're about to go to have a heart attack and you run to the ER and they tell you, you're good, ain't nothing wrong with you. Just got a little fear going on, a little panic attack. Or social anxiety, where you're, some people are afraid to go in public or afraid to uh, be in certain situations or afraid to uh, just speak in public or be around certain things. Or, and then there's a specific phobia where you are afraid of fires or, or, or uh, snakes or you are afraid of... Um, I have a friend who's afraid of clowns. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anybody afraid of clowns? You know, just afraid of clowns. Seeing a clown, it just freaks out. Or you may have what's called a general anxiety uh, disorder, where you are kind of, you know, fearful about just kind of anything in general. Go on to the next thing. Uh, just hit back on the other one. The thing about fear is that if we allow it to, fear can control our lives and 
control who we are and control our, our thinking. One of those things up there, that panic disorder, full disclosure, I have it. I do. Been diagnosed with it. And, and years ago, I'd run to the ER, and they're like, ain't nothing wrong with you. Because you thought you were having heart attacks, and you weren't. And so I have the sweat rag up here because I sweat a lot with it. One of my greatest fears, believe it or not, is being in front of people. <laughs> and speaking, I prefer to be in the background than to be in the forefront. But because I, and I'll get into that piece later on. I do. And so um, it, it, it's there, it exists, it's a, it's a part of me. And it is what it is. And you just got to learn to deal with it. I'll talk about it a little later on. Hit that video for me, the Shawshank one. Okay, let me say, anyone of y'all, y'all watch Shawshank Redemption? It's got to be my favorite movie. I've seen it a million times. And if you, the thing about Shawshank Redemption, about Red and Shawshank, played by Morgan Freeman, uh, he was, he's been, he was in prison since he was 18 years old. And so he'd been in jail for about 40 years. And, and after that 40 years, they actually let him out of jail. And here he is. He was in prison. It was like in the 1920s that he got in. I mean, there were probably no paid phones or, or the things and cars and motor, uh, motor vehicles and, and those type of things around. And when he got out of jail, all of a sudden, it's like there's this new world out here that he has to deal with. And, and even though he was technically free, he was still not free. He was a, a prisoner to to just, just life in general itself. He'd become, I was having a conversation with uh, 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 Andrew Sainz, 
And he was talking about what happens when folks go to jail. And he said at about 10, 15 years or so, he works in the prison. He's been there for years. He said at about 10, 15 years or so, you're in jail. You become what's called institutionalized. You get so used to being in jail or in prison or in that kind of situation that you don't know what it, you, you just can't live on the outside. You just can't adjust to, to life on the outside. So being free is actually fearful for you because being in prison is more comfortable. It's, it's more, it's, it's kind of easier or it's kind of uh, uh, a good situation. And this, there's a story in 1 Kings and it's talking about a prophet by the name of the one in 1 Kings. You have that up there? Okay, you probably don't. It's talking about a prophet by the name of Elijah, very famous prophet. Well, Elijah uh, had done some serious, great, great things before the Lord. I mean, his, the things that he had done, 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah had uh, on Mount Carmel one day, he told Ahab the king, he said, listen, I'll tell you what, old Ahab, I want you to bring the 450 prophets of Baal and, and 400 prophets of Asherah, and I want you to meet me on the mountaintop. And I'll tell you what, if your God be God, let him answer by fire. And so they got two bulls and gave Elijah a bull and gave uh, the prophets of Baal a bull, and the prophets of Baal took their bull, split it up, put it on the altar, and uh, they prayed to their God from morning to noon. And they ended up cutting themselves and bleeding and doing all sorts of crazy stuff to get their God to answer by fire. So by midday, ain't nothing happened. The bull was there. Ain't no fire come down. And so the prophet Elijah started talking trash. I mean, he started talking trash. He said, what happened to your God? Ain't nobody showed up. Y'all know how y'all talk trash. When you talk, you know, with the, like how you talk trash with somebody else's football team, start talking trash. Oh, your God ain't done nothing. Ain't nothing happened. I'll tell you what, watch what I do. So Elijah went ahead and he took his bull and cut it up in pieces and got 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel and put it around and made an altar. And then he took some, he took, he dug a trench around in the pit, and he had them pour water, oh, tons of water, tons of water. They put water in the offering, and, and, and they put it out there, and he said, he looked up to the heavens, he said, God, do your thing. And sure enough, just like God, fire came down out of the sky and just consumed the offering. And not only did it burn the offering, but it sucked up the water that was inside the, the well that Elijah dung around that. And in the next chapter, in the 19th chapter, and, and, and here's what he did even after that. Uh, uh, there had been a famine in the land for about three years. And Elijah, he went up to the mountaintop and called on God to produce rain. And the rain came from this great man of God. And in the next chapter, here's Elijah. Ahab told his crazy wife Jezebel that he had killed. And so Elijah also killed the 450 prophets of Baal, slaughtered them after it was all over with. Elijah went to crying and he ran away and went to Mount Horeb, all depressed and hurt. Wait a minute, you was just talking trash. And you and because Jezebel told him that I'm gonna kill you. So he ran away. Wait a minute. This great man of God had done this awesome thing, 
And in the next chapter, you're scared and crying and telling God, oh, take me now, Lord. I can't handle it. I'm ready to die, God. I'm ready to go somewhere. I can't. Jezebel's about to kill me. What in the world happened between the 18th chapter and the 19th chapter? Fear set in. Fear gripped his heart. Here's, and one of the things I want to, see, hey, one of the things we do with this Bible, unfortunately we do, is, is we think, and when we read these stories in Scripture, that these people weren't afraid of stuff that was about to happen. That's not true. The Bible said that the Son of God was in the garden, and he was praying. And the Bible said it got so hard for him that his sweat became like blood. Amen, somebody? And so, and so it, 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 don't think that Jesus didn't deal with fear. This guy knew, what if I were to tell you that on July the 5th, right after the 4th, that you are going to be nailed to the cross, and they're going to slap your hand and cut you up, and, and they're going to cut everything about you. They're going to beat you. They're going to scourge you. They're going to whip you. It don't look like they're going to do that because a couple of weeks ago they were celebrating you. But on July the 5th, they're going to beat you down, boy. It'd scare half of you to death. He knew what they were about to do to him. He could count the number of thorns that would be stuck inside his head. He, he knew how many blood drops would drip from his hand when the nail went in his hand. He knew all things. And so the fleshly part of him was like, Lord, Lord, they about to kill me if it be possible let this cup pass. He said, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Blake was up here. He was getting ready to be ordained. Uh, there was another one, uh, uh, Joshua. He, Joshua said, God, don't call me. I'm a boy. He said, I ain't ready for this kind of stuff. He, every time that God speaks to people in scriptures, you have to know they still people. They still deal with the same stuff that we deal with. They still go through the same feelings that we deal with. They still deal with the same fears. They still deal with the same anxieties. They, they dealt with the same loss or feelings of loss. No different than we are. And so here's Elijah getting ready to die. And God spoke to him and he said, he said, Elijah, I need to talk to you. And God came to him in an earthquake. And God talked, came to him in a fire, and God came to him in different ways, and, and God came to Elijah, and he basically said, what are you doing here? What are you doing, man? What's going on with you? What's going on with you? There's a story in 1 Timothy, you can put that one up, about another young man. His name was Timothy. And one of the things that I want us to get in our heads is that Whenever we, whenever we read Scripture, we need to read it from the perspective of these are letters, especially with the New Testament. And these were written to specific people at specific times during circumstances and things going on in their lives. Here's Timothy, Paul, apostle of God, 
he said, he told Timothy, to my beloved son Timothy, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefather. He says, I pray for you continuously, Timothy. He said, I want to see you real bad. He said, he said, Timothy, I know you're going through a tough time. Because you're looking and you're seeing me, Paul, your teacher, your, 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 your man, your, the one you believe in, going through all this stuff. Remember, Paul was in prison at this time, and you're looking at me, and, and I know you, you're having a hard time, man. I know you're afraid. I know what you're going through. So he told him, hey, Timothy, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and look at the faith of your grandmother. I want you to look at the, your grandmother Lois and your mama Lois. See, uh, uh, let me get right here. You know, when you're going through tough times, what he's telling you to do, he's saying, I want you to, to look back at some of the victories that you've had before, one. And he also told him, I want you to think about your mama and them. Anybody ever had a great mama or grandmama who was praying like, you know what I mean? When you was out doing the stupid stuff that you were doing, she was back at the house praying and believing God. And you know what I mean? Praying for you through your dumb stuff. Anybody ever had that in their life? Some of them old folk who knew how to pray. You know what I'm talking about. Who knew how to get a prayer through? Who, I mean, you know, you know, back in the, this church of God now, we, 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 you may not know, but it is. And back in the day now, you know, they used to have some of the ladies in here with the skirts all the way down here. It's just the Kelly used to look like that back in the day. So, you know, and wearing the head cloth and stuff like that and looking all, you know. But them women knew how to pray. You know what I mean? And, and, so, and so he said, Timothy. I want you to think about these people who, who prayed you through and the faith that they had and what they had going on. And he said, he said, your mother Eunice and, and all these folks, he said, and here's what I want you to do. Because, see, even with Blake now that he's been ordained, he's going to have to remember this moment right here. When Pastor Mike and those laid hands on him. When Pastor Adam laid hands on him because ministry ain't easy. You have many days, Pastor always talks about Building this church when he was so, he went to the overseas to talk to him when he was so afraid. Lord, I'm about to take out a $2 million loan. I don't even got a dollar in my bank account. I don't know what we got to do. I heard a story. They tell a story of when, uh, before they built this church, say, say they had to, they, got, they went to the bank, but they had to park further from the bank because their cars was towed up. <laughs> you going to take a million dollar loan and you driving a Yugo? See them bank folk looking out the window to make sure you got a BMW or Mercedes Benz or something like that. You know what I'm saying? And so, and so, and so that, that, everybody deals with those fears and those feelings and those, those feelings of worthlessness or those feelings and what, and, and so Paul, and so Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, remember that stuff, man. And he said, I want you to stir the gift up. Stir the gift up. He said, for God has not given us the spirit of what? It ain't from God. It ain't from God, baby. The spirit of fear is not from God. It's not now. I didn't say that you are not going to be fearful. The scripture didn't say that. He said, he has not given you the spirit of fear. That means to, to live in fear or to allow fear 
to control your life, somebody. I told you I had a panic thing before I came up here. It's true. It's true. But I refuse to allow it to control me, somebody. So what I'll do, I'll drink my water, and I got my sweat rag, and I'll sweat all you want, baby. I ain't going nowhere. And so the same thing that I'm doing, Paul told Timothy too. He said, stir the gift up. He said, stir up the gift. Remember the scriptures. Remember the Bible. I want you to pull those scriptures out of the air. I know when I was going through my thing in my tough time, I had to use the scripture. You know when you feel like, like your chest is about to palpitate and you get the, the feeling all down the arm, like the left arm. You know what I'm talking about. You know, you get the old tingling all of a sudden, you're like, you better finna die. You know, I had to pull the scriptures. Psalm 1-8, one, one I shall not die, but I shall live. Ha! Somebody, you got, you got to be willing to pull the scriptures out of somewhere. I can do what? All things through Christ that strengthens me. Now, the Apostle Paul wouldn't say in that. When he said, I can do all things, he said, he, he wasn't talking about just, oh, I could go and fly an airplane. I ain't no number flying an airplane. My math ain't good. What he was saying is that in all situations, he said, I know how to be a base and I know how to be a bound. He said, I know how to be hungry, and I know how to be full. I know how to deal with what I got to deal with in order to go where I need to go. And I, I can do all things. He said, if I'm fearful and I got to go by myself, I could do that too. He said, if the pastor called on Monday and said, you got to preach on Sunday, I'm not going to say no. I'm going to say yes, even though my spirit and everything in me is saying no, 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 no. The Lord say you can do it. So guess what? I'm finna do it. And so the spirit of fear, that don't come from God. As we talk about Independence Day, where are veterans in here? Y'all stand for a second. Stand for a second. What if y'all give him a hand? Y'all give him a hand. No, y'all got to do better than that. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on now. Come on now. Come on. See, let me talk about fear for a minute with these veterans. I remember the first time I went shooting on the gun range. And I heard those bullets pop around me on the gun range. Man, I was so scared. The, the, the sound of bullets, you got to get used to that. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all know what you got? You're talking about them how witches blowing and them bombs bursting and all that stuff. And you're talking about going 10,000 feet under the ocean in a, in a tub? <laughs> Come on, submariners. Where y'all at? That's, that's something, man. And these guys could tell you that, that, that in order to do that, C.S. Lewis says, until you know that you're going to die, you don't begin to live. He says, unless you, 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 you convincing yourself that, you know what, I am going to die. When you get that in you, then you could really release yourself to start to live. He, he, these guys know that at any minute, death could come. But they still do it. They know that they, they get to leave their families and war may break out or, or they're in the trenches and, and 
See, I would have joined the army, but I was too afraid of snakes, man. I'm telling you, I couldn't do it. Oh, God, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> Having snakes crawl over your body. But they do it in spite of the fear. And I guarantee, if you ask any one of these guys, they get fearful. Am I right about it, military folks? You do. But you live with it. You go through it. You don't let it, you don't let it control you. You don't let it take advantage of your life. You don't become institutionalized in it like red became institutionalized. You kind of go through it and move through it. Hit that a picture of the water right quick. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I'm going to tell you all the story. So some years ago on our 10th anniversary, <clears throat> my wife and I, Shante, right here, Shante, stand up beautiful. She's beautiful. I'm getting in trouble. Just stand right here. Hey, there she is. We decided that we were in the Cozumel that we were going to go snorkeling. And, and I grew up in the Bahamas all my life. And, you know, you had the waters around you, but I really never learned to swim that well. And so Shante and I decided to go snorkeling. And so we went on the ship. If y'all been on a cruise and been out snorkeling, y'all know how it is. And so we went out, you know, on this ship and into the ocean. And we were going to jump off the ship and jump in the water. And so they gave us the debrief and they told us what was going to happen. And we went ahead and we, you know, of course, I'm the first one out, you know. Oh, no, 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 let me tell you, let me tell you the truth. All the white folks... You know how y'all are. <laughs> they jump out there and they went to swimming like it wasn't nothing. You know what I mean? Now, if y'all know statistics, the statistics say 70% of black folk don't swim. <laughs> that's, what, that's, just, that's what it is. You know, this is what it is. We don't bother with the ocean. You know, we don't, we don't swim too much. So, and I figured, okay, well, you know, if they doing it, I'm getting out there and doing it too. So I jumped out in the ocean. <laughs> Had my little mask on and my snorkel on and my flippers on and everything. And I swam out for a little bit. And I looked down. And then I looked across and I saw the boat, the big, huge boat. And I could see under the boat. And the only thing I could think of was growing up in the 80s and watching Jaws. <laughs> now, like I said before, I got this little panic thing going on, an anxiety issue going on. So I started to have one right in the water. <laughs> and so I go, I get back, and I swim as fast as I can back to the boat. And there were some stairs to get on the boat. Like you could climb the stairs, you know, from the water to get on the boat. I didn't go to the stairs. I went to the side of the boat. <laughs> and climbed up. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and so I got back on the boat, and my wife's sitting on the boat in her snorkel gear, and she saw me, and she asked, what happened? I said, I got scared. I saw Jaws. <laughs> and so I sat on the boat, and she said, I ain't going in either. 
And so there we are, the two little chocolate-covered people. Sitting on the boat, all the white folks are there doing their thing, swimming, all that stuff. And I'm sitting there like, what in the world? And I know the Mexican folks was talking trash about us. <laughs> My Spanish ain't too good, so I couldn't, you know what I mean? I couldn't I could pick through it like I needed to. And so I'm there sitting on the boat. We're sitting there talking. I'm like, <sighs> and we just sat there, full gear on, snorkels and everything, just sitting there looking real stupid. And, I, and something in the side of me said, no, we can't go out like that, man. I said, Shanta, you know what? I said, this ain't about me no more. This is about my people. <laughs> I said, I said, this is about my kids. That's just about the generations coming after me. I said, Shanta, I'm going to go in this water. And if I die... You tell him I did my best. <laughs> so I jumps back in the water and went out and started swimming and loved it. Absolutely loved it. And got hooked on it and just didn't even want to come back in. Shante was still sitting on the boat. <laughs> and so, and so finally I said to her, baby. We got to do this. This ain't about us no more. So she, so they, she jumped out. They got her air floaty thing, but she did jump out, and they put the ring inside there, and she said, take the picture, and they took the picture, and she, she went back in again. <laughs> so ever since then, we've been telling our kids, you got to learn to confront your fears. You got to learn not to, you got to learn not to let fear grip your life. Even though you may be afraid of something, even though it might be difficult, you just can't let it control you, baby. You just got to plug on in spite of what you. So we, we went on a cruise a couple of weeks ago and we took the family and we all went snorkeling. And the kids went out and they snorkeled. This, and they were little then, and they're big now. Now, I ain't finished yet. I, finished. I got nothing to tell you. So everybody know my pastor, Michael Sainz, is crazy. He ain't right. He jumps out of airplanes. No, for real, he does. He, he does for fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's what he does. And so he is kind of like this adrenaline junkie. But you know what? I'll say this. Even though you, I tell you that he may jump on airplanes, there are the things that, that make him fearful. Because we all deal with it. For him, that's his thing. I mean, he liked that. But for, for there's something else. But anyways, let me get, get back to the story. So we went down to Guatemala a couple of months back. And Pastor Mike told us, hey, y'all, let's go ziplining. I'm like, ziplining? I know I shouldn't have gone to your folk. Every time I go with them, I get in trouble. So, so they all went ziplining. You know, I said, let's go ziplining now. And ziplining in Guatemala is not like ziplining in America. You're ziplining in the mountains. No, I'm talking about the real mountains. Where like the fog and the mountains and all that stuff. 
and, and you're in the jungle, and the drop is like a couple hundred feet. One of them was so bad, the zip line crossed over the highway where like transfer trucks were running. So if you drop, you don't have to worry about it too much because the transfer truck was going to just <laughs> roll over you. So Pastor Mike said, let's go zip lining. And so I'm like, nah, y'all just go ahead. Y'all just go do your thing, you know. Nah, I'm not bothered with this. I'm with these white folks. They're crazy. So, so anyway, they convinced me to go. And I'm like, oh, my God, how did I get myself into this? So I just decided to go. And, and of course, Shante's like, nah, I ain't going no ziplining. Not with y'all. And so I ended up ziplining. But before I got there, I'm telling you, that panic set in. Felt like bricks were on my feet. And it's like, it was like I was anchored to the ground. And I ain't let none of them know. Did I ever tell you all that? No, never did. Never did. And it felt, I just like, you know, it's just like someone's greatest fear. And you, you tell them to jump. <laughs> Man, it felt like bricks. I'm sweating the bullets, you know. You know just like now, because I'm still a little nervous being in front of y'all. Just sweating the bullets. Just, just. And then, I don't know how I got off, but I finally, like, eked and jumped off and went ziplining, and it was pretty good. Then it was Shante's turn. And she, no, she didn't want to go. And so I whispered in her ear, remember, scuba, remember diving off a of Cozumel? And she, she said, okay, let's go. <laughs> so I reminded her of our Cozumel experience about snorkeling. And that was enough to say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do it. Because I'm not going to let fear control my life, baby. You got that clip? There is a clip. This Shante. <laughs> Y'all got to see this. Play it again, play it again, play it again, play it again. <laughs> listen, listen to that, listen to that. <laughs> that's, that's Pastor Adam saying, Shantae. And Shantae's like, this thing's slowing down. I'm not going to make it to the end. She's like, yee! And so she went ziplining. And so for her, she said, I'm not going to let fear control my life. I'm not going to let it have power over me. I'm not going to let it stop me from becoming or stop me from doing or stop me from becoming everything that God wants me to do. I'm not going to do that no more. I'm not going to live in fear. Because First Timothy said again, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Even though you have fear, it don't have to be a spirit. It don't have to control you. It don't have to control your life. I want to share one more story with you. Not about me, but just about, put that picture up there of this gentleman. This guy is intelligence officer, Hioro Onoda. This picture was taken in 
1974. Onada was a Japanese intelligence officer in World War II. He was sent to an island in the Philippines, and he was told by his commanding officer, I don't ever want you to surrender. I don't ever want you to, to quit. And so he didn't. So World War II ended in 1945. Oneida and about three other guys, they stayed in the jungle. So even though leaflets were being dropped to tell them that the war is over, the war is done, he stayed doing what his commanding officer told him to do. And in the 1950s, people realized that he was there. They were stealing bananas and cows and different things to keep on going and to keep on living. Pastor Adam at. And so, come to find out that they had even sent letters from their family to tell them, hey, the war is over. He, he didn't quit. They kept on. It wasn't until 1972-ish or so that someone went in to find him and to talk with him and befriended him. Now, up until that time, they'd send police officers and they'd try to get him. He'd kill 30 police officers from the Philippines. 30. Because for him, the war wasn't over. That's the 1970s. It's, it's been 29 years World War II had ended. And Onoda was still fighting the war, even though the war had been over a long time ago. So in 1974, this friend went back to Japan, and he found Onoda's commanding officer, who had been working at a bookstore in Japan. The war was over now. And he took him back to the Philippine island and introduced him to Onoda. And the commanding officer told Onoda, you can stand down now, young man. The war is over. This guy just died back in 19, 2014. He was 91 years old. So for 29 years, he'd been fighting the war that was already over. Oh, oh my God. He was fighting the war. That wasn't even real. He, he was living under the fear of a, of a battle that wasn't even existing. I told you, Dr. Albright said there's only one fear of those five that's really real, the one of death. Every other thing else is in your mind. It ain't real. You don't have to give in to it. Fighting the war. Pastor taught a message last week talking about family and things that may have happened and, and relationships and, and, and hurts and pains and things that may have happened then. And we hold those things and we carry those things and we're still living those things. Even though I was six years old or seven years old or 10 years old or 12 years old, when it happened, I'm still living in the fear, fighting the war that's already been over. Uh, here's what God is saying this morning. Some of us have allowed the fear to grip and control our lives. You, you know what? I, I'll be honest. Before I came to the Lord, I used to be afraid of walking down the aisle and giving my life to Christ. I used to be concerned about what would people say 
or, or I may mess up next week, or I may, I may not know how to live it. That's a fear, baby. And, and here's what God is saying. You don't have to live in the fear. Come on, give it to Jesus. He says, I know what fear is. Remember, I was in the garden and my sweat became his blood. He said, I did that for you. He said, because while I was in the garden, I was learning to master some stuff so I could help you master your stuff. Amen, somebody. You don't have to go outside this place the same way that you came in. You really, really don't. You don't. That's a choice that you make. You don't have to allow the fear to grip your life. And I know coming out sometimes is like those bricks on your, you know what I mean? You don't have to give in to that. Slave. Adam's going to sing something. And as he sang this morning, if it's salvation, Don't let the enemy keep you fighting that war that God wants to make over in your life. Don't let him keep you. Hey, hey, on this July 4th Independence Day, you could literally be free. And I'm not saying the fear won't exist or the symptoms of the fear won't exist, but you just don't have to live in it. You don't have to allow it to control you and to grip you and to become who you are. Is there anyone here brave enough to take that challenge and say, you know what, God? I want to live for you. I'm not afraid. Even though I'm fearful, I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to accept that challenge and I think I'm going to try you. I'm going to give my life over to you, God. Anyone here who would just just be for just lift your hand where, where you at. Yeah. That's it. Anyone else? Anyone else? I'm not gonna allow fear to control me no more. I'm gonna make that, I'm gonna take that step. Anyone else? On this Independence Day, you could become free. You don't have to be a slave to sin. You don't have to be a slave to fear. Come on, Pastor Adam. have to be a slave to fear. The scripture says, home the sun set free. It's free indeed. For, for the rest of us, the fear could be the fear of taking that next career step. Taking that next step to branch out in your career or go back to school. You know, you may have been told that, oh, well, I had this little special class or something way back when and, and I'm not smart enough. Or I'm not, 
I'm not, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. Or someone else is better than I am. No, you don't have to live in that kind of fear. You don't have to live in that kind of fear. Is there anyone who need the courage? If you need the courage, just become more empowered. Just lift your hand right where you're at. Just to become more empowered. To not let your fears overpower you or, or own you or control you. Come on, Pastor Adam. Y'all come on here with me. Just prepare. I'm coming down also. Just right where you are, just come on. Come on up. If you want to come on up, we'll pray. If We'll just pray. You don't have to be a slave to fear. That walking out is a sign to say, you know what? I'm making a step. I know my feet feels like it got grips on it, but I'm making a step. I'm coming out. No, I'm not just going to sit there. I'm coming out. I'm not going to be a slave to fear. I'm not going to be a slave to what people think. I don't care what someone says about me. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not going to be a slave to this stuff no more. I refuse to be a slave to the tricks of the devil. I refuse to be a slave to the, whoo, to my past, somebody. I'm not going to be a slave to my past. Oh, my God. Whom the sun set free. You free, baby. I'm going to be free. I'm, I, you know, devil, you're not going to hold me back. What's in the past is in the past, baby. The Bible says he takes that stuff and throws it in the sea of forgetfulness. So when, you, when the devil brings that stuff up in your face, God says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. You said that happened? I don't know when that happened. Come on, ministers. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Come on, ministers. Come on, y'all. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. I'm not going to be a slave to sin no more. I'm not going to be a slave to fear no more. I'm not going to be a slave to my past. This July the 4th is going to be an anniversary. It's going to be a day where I make that mark in the sand to let the devil know no more. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm a child of the King. I'm a child of God. That's what Paul told Timothy. You are a child of God, baby. You got the mark of the Most High God in you. You've got the blood of Jesus running through your veins. Oh, I'm a child of the King. My daddy is Jesus. Woo! Woo! I'm a child of God. Oh my God. I'm a child.